Hello and welcome to University Challenged with me, your host, Tony Kent. Here's today's question for you. When you're set on either becoming a merchant banker or a helicopter pilot as a teenager, how do you end up providing business consultancy to some of the largest mobile network operators in the world? James Gray is our guest today and he's the founder and managing director of Greystone Strategy and chairman of the charity Frontline Children. In this interview, he shares his career story, which takes in winning a car and flipping it for a Ferrari, meeting a film star while recording an advert, deleting his qualifications to secure an interview at Vodafone, experiencing redundancy twice within six months and deciding he never wanted a proper job again. 11 years since that decision and today James is enjoying the freedom and challenge that running a consultancy brings. This includes using his skills to help frontline children deliver education to the most vulnerable kids to the extent of creating secret schools in countries where the government is denying this basic need. Hi James. Hi Teddy. Welcome to University Challenged. Delighted to be here. Excellent. Um, let's start in time on a fashion. Podcast's been going for nearly two years. So for the people that are listening today and for the listeners to come, could you share your full name and what it is you do today? Yes, I can. Uh, so my name is James Gray. There is a middle name. I'm not going to share it. And uh, <laughs> not not, keen, not very keen on it. And okay. uh, I, I, am, I am the managing director of my own consultancy called Greystone Strategy. We work in the telecoms, media, technology space, working with clients, normally mobile operators, mobile network mm -hmm. operators, or people that sell into that space. Brilliant. So with that in mind, we're going to go back in time a little bit to long before you ran your own consultancy firm, and we're going to go back to secondary school. So what are your memories of secondary school? How did, how did you enjoy it? Um, I actually quite enjoyed secondary school. Um, it was, um, you didn't get a lot of choice about where you went when I went to secondary school. I was in a, in a smallish rural community and there was one secondary school you went to so 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 that's where you went um it was it was an interesting time so i was in the year which was the first year to do gcse's so there was quite a lot of change in terms of the um the curriculum and getting used to it and so on i think i probably won out of that i suspect maybe gcse's yeah. had to be a success and therefore yeah maybe the marking was a little bit what's the word kind of it maybe okay. maybe less less um they, they were they, they were happier to, to to make people successful um mm -hmm. interestingly it was also a time um when my school was on strike all the time right. so 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 we so we, we yes that things don't always change do they um no. and um so 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 the school ran what they called a truncated day so okay. you would you would get into school, you would do 50 minute blocks of lessons. It used to be an hour. So they sort of shaved 10 minutes yeah. off and you'd be all done by one o'clock and then they mm -hmm. sent you home. Um, so that was great because I got to do all my homework because um, I was quite diligent at, at that time. Uh, got yeah. All my homework done and could then go out and have fun uh, in the ways that teenage boys have fun, um, uh, you know, when it was still light. So that was that was quite good. And it, it stri strikes me, you saying that because strikes me. <laughs> um, we are 
of a similar, we're close in age. I think I'm only a couple of years younger than you. I don't remember there being strikes at school. So either I've got a big gap or there was something very specific that was going on with certain schools in the country. Do you know sort of what was going on then? And is it? I I don't really recall. I know it went on for a long time. I mean, it was, Mm. my my perception is it was like a year. It might not have been, it might have been half a year. I know me and my my friends were all delighted with the outcome of it at the time. <laughs> I'm not saying it really helped us out long term, but at the time we were yeah. delighted about it. Um, but it was only my school, interestingly. So other schools um, in other catchments were yeah. still doing were still doing full. So so whether it was that we had a particular union in my school, yeah. Whether my school just had particularly politically active teachers. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it was quite an old school school in terms okay. of, you know, you it, back in the day, you still had to dodge the board rubber. And, yeah. you know, there was fairly regular fighting in the playground, yeah. normally the teachers. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, so, it was, so, so, you know, when I look at, when I look at, you know, I've got I've got two daughters, as you know, um, yeah. and I, when I look at the schools that they've gone to and the huge amount of opportunities extracurricular activities that were put on the table for them and yeah. so on you just realize how different it was the school was just and for me the school was a place you went you had to go there you, yeah. you did your work you now i was fortunate in that i was you know relatively smart and in, in the upper sets and so on um yeah. but it wasn't a lifestyle choice right you know i i, I wasn't involved in orchestras or dance classes and going on world tours and going singing in the Albert Hall that just didn't happen school finished you left the teachers went to the pub I mean that's kind of how it seemed to work and um, I'm interested to know because with like the strikes that have been going on recently in the UK so you know our school had one strike day in February and people are like oh my god how will we cope I have to work why aren't my kids in school um did both your parents work? What what sort of happened? Did you just let yourself in when you got home, or what what was yeah. the setup? Yeah, so so both my parents worked. Um, yeah. My dad um, worked in agriculture, so mm-hmm. um, so so in farming, and then subsequently um, sort of building um, field shelters for horses. Um, and um, and my mum kind of did a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah. So uh, she, for, for a while, she ran the local playgroup. She did, she did yeah. dog training lessons. She did cleaning, you know, anything to bring money in. I think actually at the time, yeah. um, in terms of how it worked. So uh, yeah, I just firstly we lived in a house which was in the middle of nowhere. So yeah. um, so we were a third of a mile down an unmade road um, right. with, with with no neighbours. Um, yeah, and. I would literally walk home from from the school bus stop, which was three miles, um, mm. and then let myself in, and just get on with it. I mean, I'm pretty certain the house wasn't even locked. If and I maybe <laughs> maybe 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 the maybe the keys were under the dog bowl or something, but you know, there wasn't like <laughs> it was relatively easy to access out. I just let myself in and, and, and get on yeah. with stuff basically. So, remember, I was at this point. I was then probably 14 to 16 and I had yeah. an older brother so I sort of had someone that could um keep me in check if if, if yeah. it needed so. yeah and um what were you studying was there a particular area in which you 
showed talent or you uh, especially enjoyed? Um, yeah, I, I tended, considering I ended up in a career in marketing, which is what you'd consider to be the sort of more artsy side of things, mm. I tended to be very focused on maths because I was quite good at maths. They let me take my O-level a year a year early. So I've actually got an O-level and a whole bunch of GCSEs. Right. Um, I, I enjoyed English. Um, yeah. I did not see the point in art. Just mm. seemed like no point. I didn't take that as, a, as an option. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they forced me because, again, as they still do now, there's certain things you have to do. So they forced me to do... Um, to do some sort of arts and crafts type thing. So I did something yeah. called craft design and technology design and realization. CDT. Oh, yeah. yes. Oh my God. That's what we yes. did. CDT. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So d design and realization meant you drew up all the drawings and then you went yeah. and built it. Or in my case, you drew up all the drawings and then you never quite got round to building it, <laughs> but somehow still managed to get a C. Um, right. So, so, uh, so yeah, so, so I, I tended to like the sort of academic-y type of mm -hmm. subjects because I was probably better at those. I'm not, I'm, I'm not very practical now. Mrs. Gray won't let me put shelves up in the house because she knows <laughs> it'd be a disaster. So, um, so, um, so, so yeah, that, that was sort of my, my leaning, I, I think. Um, and I was, you know, I was, I was relatively, at that stage, I was relatively kind of good at, um, you know, relatively academic. And what was, what was the plan then? So you, were you following your dad into agriculture or were you, off to do something else what, what was your so, so 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 back then so I, I had a number of life plans um so so when right. I was so, so, when, so when I was leaving school uh, mm -hmm. I remember again you could leave at 16 back then yeah. so you, you didn't have to go to um to uh college um but I, I did did plan to go to college um and do a levels and back then I was a child of Thatcher's um Thatcher's 80s yeah. I wanted nothing more than to be a merchant banker driving a Porsche around and making loads of money, right? Uh, In a pinstripe suit, I hope. With red of, braces. Of, 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 of course, with, with <laughs> absolutely massive trousers and red braces. Yes, yeah. that's definitely definitely how, how it was. Um, that, that life plan changed as I went to college. So I did go to college. I went okay, yeah. and studied um, maths, economics and physics. Um, okay potentially the worst choices I could have taken because they were all really difficult subjects. Yeah. Maths, I found, took a massive advance after I'd done O-level maths, then additional yeah. O-level maths. A-level yeah. maths was bamboozling, um, mm. just you know, differentiation. What? Um, and, and, so it's, and, and physics was equally bamboozling. Economics yeah. I quite liked. I could sort yeah. of see the application of economics. But... Um, yeah. but I, Unfortunately, in that period, uh, I discovered motorbikes and girls, um, <laughs> a, a heavy, heavy cocktail, and yeah. um, we weren't particularly enforced to go to lessons at my college. Mm -hmm. um, yep. You kind of turned up and, when you wanted to, and often I yeah. got diverted as I was riding my motorbike to college. I'd yep. find myself on a nice country ride somewhere, and then, oh, oh I've missed physics. Oh, right. Um, oh. So I, 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 I became significantly less engaged, and yeah. um, and we we often joke that my um, my ultimate A level 
grades actually spell out the qualifications that I got because I got two ends of the U. So I actually got none, none. in terms of in terms of um, <laughs> very in terms good. of A, le a levels. Um, but but I, but I but I I I'd, I'd changed um, changed my life plan at that point. I had decided mm -hmm. that a career in the forces was for me. I've always been really interested in the military yeah. and the army. I had a friend yeah. who had joined up and yeah. he seemed to be enjoying himself. Um, so the so the life plan was I had it all mapped out. I was going to go to Sandhurst Military College. Right. Because if you're an officer, you get a sword. Very important. <laughs> um, I was going to train uh, in the Army Air Corps to fly helicopters, yeah. um, which is a useful skill, I think. Um, yeah. And then I was going to do my 15 have a military pension, go out to Saudi Arabia, flying helicopters for rich, rich oil shakes, and basically just live, live live the life. So I'm intrigued to know how, as the son of, of a agricultural family that lives down a lane, but an unmade road, um, how you sort of knew about that at such a young age? I mean, maybe my world was just small, but how did you know? That you know, like, yeah. If I go to Sandhurst, and Sandhurst is, you know, quite a, it's very prestigious, isn't it? That's how you become an officer, do you officer training. Yeah. And I don't imagine that everybody would go. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a good question. Um, so I would I'd always been really interested in the army, military history. Mm -hmm. I was um, I collected militaria. You know, my bedroom was full of. And gas masks and, <laughs> and 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 combat jackets and and torches and goodness knows what else. So I was, I was always quite into it um, <laughs> because I had a friend who had joined up. Um, he yeah. joined a, what's called a junior leaders regiment, so he joined at sixteen. Um, I was able to, you know, I've got a bit of an inside track into into the, the lifestyle and so on. <laughs> um, and not that one, uh, the military lifestyle, and yeah. Um, and yeah, generally. I, I I think I just sort of saw it as being a good opportunity. I, I did I did research. I went and and mm. I spoke to the career officers. And then you yeah. do to go to Sandhurst, you have to um, get sponsored by regiments. So, ah. so so imagine it's like a military university, but you're yeah. you're almost you've already got a regiment that says yeah we'll have that guy. Okay, um, right, yeah. So so what I did was. You, you do these things called POCs, potential officer camps. Uh, yeah. So you'd, you'd, you'd go and, you know, there, there was an element of you selling yourself to the regiment. There was an element of the regiment telling you why working mm -hmm. for the Royal Corps of Transport was just the most exciting job in the world yeah. or not. Um, and um, and so, I, so, so I did that. So I had, I had kind of three, three regiments that I'd visited, gone yeah. through the process. This was like a two or three day process. You stayed in the office mess you yeah. kind of shadowed an officer so it was all quite you got to a point where you're quite well informed about what you were letting yourself in for okay. yeah albeit it was the sales pitch still right you know, yeah. The, yeah no one mentioned you might get shot yeah that didn't didn't come up <laughs> um, oh i wonder why yeah yeah odd, odd. um yeah so but, but i managed to get i managed to get sponsorship from the royal corps signals which is really mm -hmm. interesting considering i ended up in telecommunications um oh. from the royal corps of transport which wasn't particularly exciting but was available um and the army air corps the one i really wanted said that they would sponsor me but not 
for a year. So I so could you have to wait a year. Have to wait a okay. year. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I decided to wait a year, and that was the 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 start of the diversion from the uh, from the plan. Okay, right. So you've already been diverted by motorbikes and girls, yes. and the potential of being a merchant banker. Um, what's diverted you this time? <laughs> so, so I did. I decided to to wait for Army Air Corps because that's what I really yeah. wanted to do. Um, mm -hmm. I then needed to get a job. You know, with, mm -hmm. it, there was there was never a conversation about gap years in our house or anything like yeah. that. You know, and, and and being funded. So, um, yeah. so I went, I went to get a job um, working for eighty pounds a week plus commission in the local okay. curry curry store, um, yeah. and. I really liked it, uh, yeah. which was surprising because um, I was quite shy and I had to mm. go and talk to complete, complete strangers and sell them washing machines um, <laughs> and things like that. But I, but yeah. I really liked it. They, yeah. I was very fortunate that I had a very supportive um, assistant manager in the store who said, you know, you really should think about going into management. They yeah. put me on their accelerated management program. And within a year, I was an assistant store manager earning more than 80 pounds a week yeah. um and it's kind of like this is actually quite interesting quite fun no yeah. one's shouting at me no one's making me run around mud with a rifle over my head yeah. um and so i kind of pivoted again and and, yeah. and focused on sort of driving my retail management career instead and is there a connection to technology in there were you selling Bones. Yeah, was well, yeah. So, yeah. so, so, so st started off in in curries, which was uh, white and brown goods, which would be you know washing machines, dishwashers, vacuum cleaners, TVs, videos, camcorders. Yeah, what's um, brown goods? I've had a white goods. What's brown goods? Brown, 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 brown goods. I know it's weird, isn't it? Brown goods is camcorders. It basically is the stuff Dixons used to sell. So camcorders, oh. um, video, video recorders, hi fi's, oh. all that sort yeah. of stuff. Um, yeah, I had a wooden hi-fi at one point. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. Yeah, nice and binatone wooden effect or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and um, But yeah, we were now sort of into the 90s. The mobile mm -hmm. phone revolution was starting and yeah. I was managing a curry store in Windsor. Mm. Um, wow. nice. And yeah, it was, Windsor was nice actually, it was very mm. pleasant. Um, and the opportunity came to go and work for this new um, group in the chain called The Link, which was yes. consultative, you remember them? Consultative selling. Shed, they used to use Shed Seven's song. We did. Speak easy, yeah. Speak easy, at The Link easy. easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I can tell you a little bit about some of the advertising I did for them later on, but um, with dancing phones, goodness knows what. Um, yeah. And um, so, yeah, so, so the opportunity came to sort of transfer across. They were looking for, for management and I went to go work in the first store in Kingston. Um, mm -hmm. I managed that and then went through a succession of um, of different roles, managed Reading. Uh, then I went to Southampton, I think. And then um, finally, I ended up in Bath, um, mm -hmm. which is lovely. My motivation yeah. for going to Bath was, A, it was lovely. And B, it's a town with its very own bun, and I found that very exciting. The first a thing I did when bun. I 
a bath bun yes yeah. it, was, it, was, it was it was the first thing i did when i went i checked out the store and then yeah. i went to the bakery and bought a bath bun to see if i i, I found that particular confection um right. sat, satisfactory like buns yes you like buns I, right I've, I've got a very sweet tooth um right. <laughs> uh, so so um so yeah so i ended up in in the store in bath and that was ultimately became the top performing store in the country um wow. and and the they they used to run an incentive a christmas incentive and the mm -hmm. incentive was to win a car um and i won a car um, wow. but what was what was i was thinking about this the other day what was really interesting about bath the store was it was the first time i really believed that me and the team mm. could be top it would there was, wow. there, was there, there was a kind of different when we were a completely different mindset i could yeah. see the potential of the store i believed we could succeed and we yeah. just drove really really hard at it and yes we we did succeed and i won a car what did you win inquiry minds need to know um so so i won a peugeot 206 um nice. it's a very nice car i mm. kept it for um it must have been four hours um so they so they delivered it yeah brand new off the trailer yeah. um and i had already found a buyer for it actually somebody that worked for the link um so i so i so i drove it down to cribs causeway where she worked um and sold it to her so i turned my car into cash um, oh my. wow I you just flipped it <laughs> just just flipped it um wheeler dealer style um right well, that, well, I, <laughs> Although I've built appreciation in, which isn't actually wheeler dealer style, I didn't sell it for more. I sold it for less than it was worth. But um, right. but that that was good. And then I took that money and the money yeah. I've made from sort of sales bonuses and the money yeah. I made from selling a house, yeah. um, and I bought a Ferrari. Uh, okay, that sounds normal. Um, how old were you <laughs> at the time? I was twenty six. Well, okay. Um, blimey. Wow. Did they have time to take a picture of you with the Peugeot before you sold it? <laughs> but uh, oh but actually, goodness. actually, the, internally, the story of the store manager who did very well and bought a Ferrari got quite a lot of um, quite a lot of credibility as well. So ultimately, yeah. I, don't, I don't think uh, the leadership at, at the link were particularly concerned. You know, I think they saw it as a, as a positive thing. They certainly wow. wanted to borrow the car. I bet they did. So, um, and and just within that, you're 26. You work in retail, but you're managing, it's managing the most successful store in the group. You've bought and sold a house yeah. by your mid 20s, which a lot of people think is not achievable anymore. Uh, and you've got Ferrari. So, if you think about, did it were any of your peers uh, from school? Were you still in touch with them? Was yeah. your experience? unlike theirs <laughs> um it's a really good question so i had friends at university for sure mm -hmm. um but i also had friends um who who'd followed similar career paths to me it, it, back then it would it, it, there was less of this you must go to university the only yeah. way you'll make a success yourself at university you know it was it was quite usual for people to to, to finish school at 16 it was mm -hmm. A, a smaller percentage then went on to do A levels or or B yeah. or whatever, and then an even smaller percentage went went to university. 
so so i had i had friends at university but yeah the, by the time my friends were leaving university i had bought a house i bought my first house in in, in amazing stoke actually um, oh. <laughs> uh, so it was a it was a five bedroom house um in in one of the less salubrious areas of Basing like it was a repossession um yeah. so, so 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 I bought it yeah. for 19,000 pounds um, okay and wow. because, because it had five bedrooms I moved yeah. in many of my mates who worked there and okay. made some money out of rent yeah. um and it was basically just like a student house only we yeah. had jobs you know imagine okay. the young ones or bottom yeah pretty much that's what it was like it was very unsanitary yeah. um I've been in one of those houses actually yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah it was I've got the picture pretty, pretty rough um mm. but yeah but then but, but but what it meant was you know I already had financial security of sorts mm-hmm. a career by the time my friends that went to university were leaving university I yeah. had all that um yeah but, but I also still got to benefit from the perks of university because I had friends there. So, you know, yes, we went and stayed in their places and we went to the student union and we enjoyed ourselves. Um, yeah. But then we went back to work to 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 go and, you know, to, to, to fund the things that we wanted to do. Whereas I was looking at some of my university friends and they were basically potless. You know, they, they were yeah. kind of, you know, eating eating noodles and, yeah. and, 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 and white toast. And that was kind of like... Well, their lives so so yeah it 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 went considering it was unplanned yeah it went quite well yeah and so there's an early sort of entrepreneurial spirit there um did you go straight from flipping the Renault for a Ferrari (laughs) to creating your consultancy or not what happened no there was there was there was some interesting um career journeys so Mm -hmm. um I had a conversation, you know, when you have one of those conversations and later on you realize it was, it was a really important conversation in your life yeah. and, and kind of defined a direction. I had a conversation with my, uh, my area manager at the time. So the guy that um, I reported into um, and the conversation was, but a guy called Andy Brownwood. If you're listening, Andy, thanks very much. It was good advice you gave me. Um, and um Basically, I said, I'm the top store in the com- company. I don't really see anywhere to go apart from backwards yeah. from that in, in retail management. Yeah. Um, what do you suggest I do next? And, uh, and he said, well, the guys in marketing seem to have quite a good laugh. And I was like, uh-huh. okay, well, that marketing for me, then put me down for marketing. And they were really yeah. good. Dixons were really good. They yeah. um, sent me up to the head office in Hemel Hempstead mm-hmm. for a sort of three-month secondment, three-week mm-hmm. three secondment to see if I enjoyed it um, yeah. and, and just to get, get a bit of work experience up there. Um, yeah. I enjoyed it. The guys that I was working with seemed to think that, you know, I could be useful. Um, and so within a couple of weeks from that, they then said, yes, you can come and work in head office. So I became a brand manager um right. manage it which would which was looking after kind of the brand the advertising um the kind of the brand collateral in store and the non-product related elements of retail the so services and so on um yeah. 
And yeah, so so that set me off on a completely different and largely, again, unplanned um, career journey. And I... And, and uh, sorry to interrupt you. It's really interesting that you go from sales discipline into marketing. Because often people will say that, you know, there's a constant battle between sales and marketing and they don't understand each other. Um, and it seems, I don't know, it like kind of um, great thinking on the part of, you know, your area manager and the organization to say, this person's got some skills and qualities here. Let's put them in another department and see how they get on. It's not a, you haven't got a child institute of marketing, you can't come here. Um, so I'm intrigued by what there was maybe about the culture at Dixon's that made that possible. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good question. And I think um, Dixon's was very much a meritocracy, right? If you, if, you were, if you were good, if you could prove that you had a work ethic and you were prepared mm. to get on and do things, it was very, you know, you weren't limited at all. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't a bar that said everybody must have a degree that works in our marketing team or whatever. They were, they were looking, looking for skills and they were very, very happy to promote from within. Um, I don't know if that comes down to it. You know, it was originally a family company, right? You know, it was, it ultimately came from that. So I don't know whether it comes from that heritage, whether or not it was that they just felt that, you know, they could take, young potential and mold it into into what they what they needed i don't know but yeah. it, it was it was you know there was never a conversation that i can recall which was you know do you think you're qualified to do this job it was yeah. always <laughs> you know do, do, do you do, do you have the aptitude do you yeah. have the skills I, I think they valued entrepreneurialism and you're right i was quite entrepreneurial i think yeah. they valued sort of street smarts as much yeah. as they valued book smarts um because all of those are things you need when you're on the shop floor and it was you know it's a company that took people from the shop floor you know you need to be you know personable aware of what's going on know your stuff yeah you Mm -hmm. don't need to know the theory of marketing or sales Mm -hmm. you do need to know why that washing machine is good for Mrs. Jones, who lives yeah. just down the road, right? So, yeah. and, and you're constantly reaction, reacting to the sort of inputs you get from the customer and, and adjusting your yeah. style to suit. So, it's, it's quite, um, it, it, I would say they valued EQ as much as they valued IQ. So, so yeah, it was, it was quite, quite an empowering organisation to work in. And, mm. and you know, as I say, they, they, they backed you for success. So, so yeah. yeah. And it's intriguing, actually, just that you say about EQ, because there will be a lot of corporates that like talk about this, like they discovered it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, no, it's been going on for years in retail yeah. and yeah, yeah family run businesses. Um, where did you go from there? What, what, so, what so, moved so the, you forwards? So, so, the, so the challenge that I had with Dixon's, um, and I really enjoyed it there, and I did some amazing stuff, and I must just tell you one story just because I think you'll mm. appreciate it so we, we, we touched on shed seven and speakeasy at the link it's easy um mm. so we also we also did an advert um with um animated dancing phones right? so yeah. I, was, I was involved in that I can remember going to the store where we we're doing it and seeing all the blue screen and so on and the director of that ad was yeah. a guy called Alex Winter who okay. you 
would actually know as one of the awesome duo of Bill and Ted. So, <laughs> no they, way. Yeah. No way. Yeah, no wow. way. Exactly. It was wow. excellent. Um, and um, <laughs> yeah, so, so, so I got to meet this big Hollywood actor who was directing this not particularly big um, uh, advert for, for some little mobile phone company in the UK. Wow. Um, so yeah, interesting aside, but yeah, little claim to fame there. I know. Yeah. Uh, let me, I can never remember. Yeah, he is Ted Theodore Logan in the movie, isn't he? Right. That's, that's who he plays. Yeah, blimey. Who'd have thunk it? And now we Absolutely. know. Absolutely. <laughs> so so, so one, one, once once you've done that, your career at Dixon's is complete. Okay. Um, and, yeah. and actually, uh, yeah, by, by then my domestic situation had changed quite a bit. So I mm-hmm. had um, two children, two small girls. Um, yeah. And I was living away from home because Dixon's head office was in Hempstead and yeah. home was um, in a little village called Collingbourne Kingston um, in Wiltshire. Um, yeah. And it felt like it was time to, to, to get a bit closer to home. So yeah. I wanted to stay in the telecoms arena and mm-hmm. I'd found some interesting jobs at Vodafone, which of course is based in Newbury, which was much yeah. closer to home. Yeah, um, And I started applying for those um initially unsuccessfully um so there was a, there was a couple of jobs i applied for and i got rejected without an interview um and that was that was an interesting learning for me because when i did get an interview it was because i deleted all my qualifications off of my cv um, oh interesting yeah, so I'd, I'd come to the conclusion I was getting rejected because I didn't have a degree. Um, mm. And it was just a really easy criteria to reject someone by. So I thought, yeah. no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to delete all my qualifications. Yeah. I'm going to make them, force them to read my experience. Yeah. And hopefully trigger them to ring me up. Yeah. And then, then it's up to me then, right? Then it's not about what's written on a piece of paper. It's up to me. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, they rang with that for me. Yeah. Did um at that point in time were you applying um via a like web form or because I know that there has been you know there are organisations that will filter um yeah. electronically based on that. So yeah. yeah. So this would have been late no early 2000s i should think um, okay so 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 no it was still very much application letter in yeah. the post with a copy of your cv yeah presumably someone in in hr is, is reading it um yeah, yeah and, the, and, the, and the, it really is and the, the conversation that we got that i got was you know with we're, we're not entirely certain you're an exact fit mm-hmm. we'd quite like to talk to you so yeah you know, so then i just kind of thought right okay bring my a game did lots of preparation later yeah. and i knew what i was going for, going after and i was you know, yeah when, when i got the job i was really excited it felt like it was a a move into a different world you know out of yeah. retail into, into telecoms operator mm. kind of big blue chip company you know i was yeah. very proud of working for Vodafone. um yeah and um and yeah and that opened up a whole new career so so it extended my marketing career i mm. worked in a number of different roles 
um, in marketing. I became a grad manager, which the irony of that somewhat somewhat amused me. So when when Vodafone was bringing people on the grad scheme, I was someone that mentored and, and yeah. looked after those grads. Um, yeah. So that was that was kind of good fun. Um, and how did they respond to you not having been to uni? Because I'm sure they would have asked you where you went. Um, do you know? I don't recall any of them asking me that. Um, oh, okay. I suspect it was assumed. I, at that yeah. point, I suspect it was assumed I had a degree. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I was always really, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't wear it as a chip on my shoulder. I, you know, I was always, yeah. Mm. I didn't, I didn't go to university. If they would have had asked me it, what mm. university I went to, I would undoubtedly have said the University of Life, because yeah. that's that's the sort of glib response you give to people yeah. sometimes, isn't it? But I, yeah. but I, um, but I don't recall it coming up because. Yeah, my role was to help them orientate themselves around the organisation and understand how, you know, think about how things worked, not in an academic scenario, not where you're the brightest person yeah. in the room, or maybe you are the brightest person in the room, but you probably haven't got the decision. So you've got to learn how to influence, you've got to learn yeah. how to um, how to read the room, you've got to think about which battles you want to win. So, so it was kind of more life skills corporate orientation yeah that, that I that I sort of helps them with I think and what do you think um for you being entrepreneurial and then that retail environment and retail management is different from being a corporate services-led organization um how did you find that experience of learning the corporate world it was very different. I think uh, there was there was some things that, that almost shocked me initially. Mm. Um, retail is very can do. You know, you, the, the trading meetings on Monday, you yeah. you make the amendments, change the prices, put in the promotion. It's all done by Friday, ready for the Saturday's yeah. trading. Yeah. Um, phone ran a six week campaign cycle, um, okay. and, and, and I found that enormously frustrating as like <laughs> we, we, can, we can do this in more than in less than six weeks come on but yeah. it was because it was yeah there, there was so many more people to engage yeah there was decisions were bigger in financial value and yeah you had a lot of um political things to manage as well so so, yeah. so that was quite a learning curve for me um and I think I was helped by the fact that again I just used my personal skills my you know the, the ability to sell an idea is really helpful you know that yeah. that's the skill that you know you need in marketing as much as you need in sales the ability to sell yeah. something a concept an idea um and I think um and I think just again the, the fact that I could adapt my style <clears throat> excuse me adapt my style to um to the audience was really helpful yeah. which again you do in sales right if you're if you're yeah. selling a Selling a washing machine to an old lady—it's a very different thing to selling an Xbox to a to a you know, to a guy in his twenties, right? You you have to yeah. adapt and change. Yeah, <laughs> I was just thinking about that. I had a very boring conversation with a friend of mine, but plays to your point. We've both got new washing machines. We're going. Oh, it's got a sixteen hundred spin cycle and a twelve hundred, but not a fourteen hundred. <laughs> um, but uh, we're curious about that. However, what what it sort of strikes me about what you just said was that I just want a washing machine that does the job. I use like two settings. 
when my son is looking at a games console, he is so well informed. He will tell you everything about the graphics card, the memory, what you can get on it. So it's quite like you say, if you've got a 20 year old coming in, they want to buy a console. It's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you and you need to be able to to I mean as, as much in life as in sales, right? You need to be able to react and respond to all those different yeah. inputs, right? You know, yeah. and 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 I think that's that's been really helpful for me that I think in general I can react yeah. and respond to that and, and tailor my delivery for the for the person that I'm dealing with at the time. So um, yeah, so yeah that, that, that's been a useful skill. And I think that's a really great almost like tip or piece of advice for people who are entering workplaces where they think, oh, maybe I don't have the corporate experience or I'm not sure how to frame what I have to offer. But just that example of, as you say, being in that kind of business to consumer face-to-face acting on instinct and responding directly to input is is a huge skill that a lot a lot of people would be terrified of being placed in that kind of situation yeah no no I think I think it is and I think it's I think it's something you develop over time Mm. and I think it's something you develop through meeting a real breadth of people as well mm. right? you know, when, when, when you're at university you are surrounded by university students so there'll be an yeah. element of groupthink and, yeah. and and understanding it when you go into the workplace or when you are working on a shop floor somewhere you are dealing with a very diverse range of people and it's yeah. really useful to learn and understand all, all the segments, all the people, how to work mm. with them, how to how to how to sort of get on in in yeah. that world. And I think I think that's been, you know, one of the things I would always encourage people to do is is just you know get to know lots and lots of different people and and and, and learn stuff. You don't have to like them all, but you need yeah. to understand and learn and and yeah. you know, don't even have to agree with their opinions, but at least understand it. When I when I was going for Sandhurst they the, mm. the um one of the one of the standard questions they'd ask you is what newspaper do you read uh, which yeah. sounds hilarious because like nobody reads a newspaper now or, or very very few people read a, a yeah. newspaper they use and they would always say yeah and you'd always get oh yes the times or something mm. quite quite weighty and you know highbrow yeah. and they'd go yeah. you need to be reading the sun the mirror yeah. and the news of the world because your soldiers will be reading those newspapers and that yeah. is going to form their opinions and you need to understand their opinions. And I always thought mm. that was really insightful in terms of understanding your audience and making yeah. sure that you can speak their language and understand how, how they interpret the information that they see. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you're not on Vodafone now. No. What happened? Uh, so it's not uncommon in Vodafone to get made redundant. It's a very, very <laughs> regular occurrence. Um, yeah. Okay. And and I can remember the first time it happened, and I was mm. vaguely traumatized. You know, it's like yeah. you know, there was there was meetings, and some people went into a room and you never saw them again, and some people went to the same room I went, and you and you stayed, and that was like, oh my god, yeah, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah. After twelve years at Vodafone, you were very used to that process, mm. and they did they did it very well, and they did it very professionally. Um, yeah. And 
I got the tap on the shoulder at, this, at one point, having done a whole bunch of roles with them. I finished up being a chief marketing officer for a, um, a joint venture they did with Sainsbury's. Um, yeah. But I got the I got the tap on the shoulder, um, and broadly the conversation is, you know, thanks very much. You've been here a really long time. Mm. We don't think we really need you anymore. Here's a letter. It's got some numbers yeah. in it which we think you'll like. Um, yeah. Off you pop, basically. Yeah. Um, and I was I was I was happy to accept the redundancy. I really enjoyed my time at Vodafone, but yeah. it was a good opportunity with a very meaningful amount of parachute money that allowed me to kind of think about what I wanted to do when I grew up. So, um, so, so, so I I took the redundancy package. Um, I went and worked, uh, I went straight from Vodafone. I had like three months gardening leave and then went straight Mm -hmm. to work for a smaller startup company. Um, that went spectacularly bust about six months later. So I got made redundant a second time. Yeah, much less pleasant. People came yeah. in and prepossessed the seats and the laptops and all that sort of thing. Wow! Um, because we'd literally gone gone bust. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I thought we made redundant twice in a year. Mm. How do I make certain I never get redundant again? I know I'll yeah. start my own company. So yeah. that's what I did. I I so my company's called Greystone. Um, the smartest people have realised my name is James Gray. So so I'm the grey yeah. part of it. There was a guy called, or there is a guy called Tim Stone, who yeah. was um, an enterprise director at Vodafone. He he's the Stone part of it, mm-hmm. and we set up a little consultancy. Um, yeah. Tim had a terrible boat habit, uh, which meant that he had to take vast sums of money and shovel it into the sea. So it yeah. became clear to him that actually the consultant's life wasn't for him. So he went and got yeah. a, a, a full time job. He runs a, an investment fund now. Um, okay. But I continue. I continue to run with with Greystone. We've been going for eight or nine years, um, yeah. And I and I really enjoy it because I'm master of my own destiny. You know, I've never had to sit in a personal development review in the last nine years. That's extremely liberating. Yeah, it's um. And what do you think it is? about you or your mindset that so you know this is timely in that there's been a swathe of redundancies or tech layoffs as it's being kind of phrased and for some people it has been a very shocking and upsetting experience because certainly I think in the US um, it's a lot more brutal when you lose your job Um, and and actually someone um, who I work with wrote a great piece about when 2e2 that she used to work for went bust so you had that experience of being yeah. laid off by an enormous organization and then being uh, an organ uh, an organization where this the money's gone um how did you find the resilience to go i'm going to take control of this and create my own business um so i think i think i've always been quite can do I think I've always had belief you know stepping back to that time in Bath when I believed I could be the top store in the in the company mm. I was the top store in the company so I've always learned over a period of time I've learned to back myself and believe that I can achieve whatever I want to achieve um yeah. I think I was emboldened by the fact that I banked my Vodafone redundancy so I knew that yeah. I could I could 
not be very good at being a consultant for about a year um you know so i, I could okay. i could learn yeah. i could learn the ropes and, and not yeah. be financially bereft um mm. but i think yeah a lot of it came down to just self-belief and believing that i had the skills i knew my subject matter i knew what i could do mm. i'm very fortunate that i've got an incredible network of people that um that i have worked with that i do work with that are clients that are friends and most of my work comes through personal referral so yeah. I'm, I'm i'm very fortunate that you know the first big gig i got a guy I used to work with rang me up and said would you like to come and do this job in ireland it's a week a week a week of um a week of proposition development workshops would you like to do it um and i said yeah sure wow week fantastic <laughs> um and 18 months later i rolled off of that project because oh wow know, okay so, so i did i did the workshops um yeah. then then they asked me to come back and for three months and implement some of the stuff that came out of the workshops then they said would you mind staying for a bit longer at one point i was yeah. in the meeting where they, where they said and james is going to be the commercial director we're not going to recruit one now and i was like am i okay fine yeah <laughs> um yeah sure <laughs> um so so that was so so, so i've been very fortunate in, in that respect but I, th I do think i would have never have done it if i hadn't been made redundant by vodafone right you know, if, if that hadn't happened there's yeah. a very good chance i'd have continued working with vodafone or maybe i'd gone to work for uh, for o2 or bt yeah. but i'd have stayed in that i won't say rut but in that in that channel in that stream um yeah. and you know i i frequently see the the notices about redundancies um and i i often people who i've known that have worked in vodafone or other places where they get made redundant you know often call me and ask me what life's like after yeah. redundancy um yeah and i and i i can honestly put my hand on my heart and say i have not met anybody who has not used it as a springboard to go and do bigger better more interesting things not everyone sets up their own company sometimes they mm -hmm. just say do you know what i'm going to take a year out and enjoy life yeah. and not worry about my phone ringing and emails yeah. and stuff like that but almost everybody i know has dug some positive out of it so i'm you know i'm always always happy to talk to anyone that's gone through the or is on their redundancy journey and always happy to sort of you know tell my story and hope that they can see that you know there's there's great opportunity and sometimes we all need a little bit of a change in perspective right you know when yeah. i when i left vodafone i was very very the clone you know i was very red yeah. throughout <laughs> and yeah and i had to i had to sort of relearn because again back to my point about you know you you if you all your peers have a similar sort of thinking and mindset and background to you you mm. you assimilate into that group thing so it was, yeah. it was really good to then come out and think about no that's not that's the way they did it is it the right way maybe it's not the right way maybe there's a different way so, so i think it's um it's always very very useful to kind of use it as a springboard and and as I say it wasn't a bad story for me and most of the people I know mm. there's always been some positive that's come out of it in, in one way or another. And how does um, consultancy kind of differ from setting up a small business? I think that that's quite interesting I think it, to, to understand because there are lots of people that set up on their own 
and provide specific discrete services that don't necessarily want to build to an exit in the way that someone who creates a marketing agency might want to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so it won't surprise you to learn that I don't really have a life plan for my, for my business. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I, 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 um, you know, I'm, I can remember talking to someone about careers a while back and they said there's different types of career people. Some people are explorers, some mm -hmm. people are lorry drivers. Lorry drivers have a very fixed idea on where they want to go and they mm -hmm. drive their lorry to it. Explorers wander around and they go, oh, there's a butterfly over there. And they walk over there and look at the butterfly. Oh, that's an interesting yeah. tree. I'm very much an explorer. Um, so, so running the consultancy um, kind of suits suits the way I work because yeah. – there's a regular flow of different interesting clients to work with, people to talk to, problems yeah. to solve. Yeah. Um, unlike a marketing agency, which is quite a good analogy, unlike a marketing agency, you know, I've, it's not, um, I'm not building to an exit. Mm. I've not got a product. So if I was a product company, I might have a product that, you know, the IP. My yeah. product is me largely me and my yeah. team of associates that work with me and yeah. and the the experience and the information and the capabilities that we have so it's very much about skills and experience mm -hmm. um and that's not something you can sell unless you go with it right so if i sold gravestone yeah. to a bigger agency mm. i'd still have to be doing what i'm doing because that's where the value comes from yeah um but i'd be doing it for somebody else and yes. that's a and that's a big switch in my head you know in, in corporate world you know you work really I worked really hard and you know and and I started to begrudge working late nights and weekends mm. yeah in my world I'll work just as hard for a client and yeah. I'll work evenings and weekends and nights and all the stuff that I need to do for a couple of reasons Firstly, because I'm doing it for me, because mm -hmm. that client is paying my company and I'm, you know, and, and, and I'm doing it for me. Secondly, my name on the door. So it's got to be yeah. a good quality job done. And, you know, I'm very yeah. motivated to do that. Um, and, and I think that's one of the interesting things that, that comes up a lot if you work in consulting is people think you're doing it until you can find a proper job. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's, 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 there's a lot of people that kind of think consulting is something you do in between jobs it's yeah like, well, i've been in between jobs for nine years or whatever so no and, yeah. and, and i have been yeah i have been offered permanent roles with clients mm. saying why don't you come and work for us and, and it's just it's not that i don't enjoy the, the organization i'm working with it's not i don't mm. enjoy the people i'm working with there is just something in my head which says no i want to do this a hundred percent for me and there's a switch in there somewhere about motivation and as soon as you're doing it not for you not for your family not not yeah you're, you're doing it to in to enrich a corporation rather than a small group of individuals yeah it's 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 a difficult one now i've switched one way i'd find it very difficult to switch back um i yeah. always say I'm, I'm never gonna have a proper job i'll always keep doing this or something like this um yeah and it's not something i'd have planned ever interesting for someone that had a very clear plan in the Hello. in the beginning. Yeah. Um, so I won't ask you anything that might, you know, set the horses running. Um, but what's what's next that you can share? What do you think? What what do you 
but hoped for? Um, a lottery win, definitely. Is oh, um, do you play is, the lottery? I do, do play the lottery, do? yeah. Oh. Yeah, um, and, and I got premium runs um, okay, and all yeah. that sort of stuff. I, I enjoy the excitement of yeah. uh, getting a text message or, or say, uh, an email that says, something good's happened you know yeah. and it's normally okay. normally a fiver or something but you know it's it's a long term what's the plan so um yeah ultimately i would like to retire i don't mm -hmm. see me ever fully retiring um my mum and dad both in their late 70s still work um yeah. and i envisage that i will be the same but i might get to pick and choose the work mm -hmm. a little bit more that i do um, I've just recently started uh, working with a charity, so I've um, I've tried to um, start thinking about giving something back and paying it forward and and, and all those sort of good yeah. things. So I'm so I'm both a fundraiser for a charity called Frontline Children, um, yeah. but also I'm um, uh, on the board of trustees as well, and that's that's good too because again I'm using yeah. my skills for good you know benefiting other people but I get a lot out of it as well um, and we should say actually because you were kind enough to introduce me to Jordan Wiley his previous guest um, that frontline children support children into education who otherwise yeah. would not have access in war zones would that be fair to say yeah it is yeah it's, it's a it's a great little charity it's a very small charity um, and I and I came to it via Jordan. So Jordan was a client originally yeah. um, and and became a friend and um, yeah. asked me to, to, to get involved with the charity. So yes, the, the charity um, has been going for a while. We've built a school in Djibouti. Um, we are now doing support grants for uh, children in orphanages in Ukraine. Um, there's work going on in Syria. And the, the latest thing that's really quite interesting is we're starting to work on um on secret schools in afghanistan um so wow as as you probably know the the um the government in afghanistan have stopped women going to school yeah. um and as a father of two girls um mm. i find that terrible and so there are secret schools springing up where people yeah. who have education people who maybe were in the education system who said right well i'm going to in my basement set up a little school and and wow. teach the local girls um obviously you can't talk too much about it because no. you know it's it's not um it's not sanctioned by by the um yeah. by the government but um but we're doing what we can to help in that area as well wow maybe quite emotional james um <laughs> goodness okay um you mentioned your girls just briefly how did your experience influence I mean your kids will only listen to so much input from their parents yeah. <laughs> but, um did how did your experience influence how you approached the education discussion with your daughters um so, yeah let's let's think so I mean, they, they, both both girls were, um, you know, quite keen on school initially. I think I think my youngest had more of a falling out of school or falling out with school after she, after she'd done her A levels. But both both um, both enjoyed school. Both 
got a lot of the value out of the extra extracurricular activities. So, so Kate, my oldest, um, was very keen on dance. He actually went on to do a dance degree at Winchester University. Um, Charlotte uh, was very musical and did um, tours all over the world playing her double bass. Um, yeah. And but when when we got onto the the conversation of university, um, I was keen for them to go it was a conversation that I knew I could support them with in terms of financially support them you know when I was there was no way I was going to university right you know it, just, yeah. it, just, it wasn't going to happen financially um and and one of the girls chose to go to university and one of the girls mm. chose to do um a more vocational qualification mm. to become a veterinary nurse and get paid um whilst she was doing it um I don't think that there's a right or wrong way um, necessarily. I think you do what suits you right. I think Kate enjoyed her university experience um, and Charlotte loves working with animals. And so she's enjoying what she's doing there. Um, so I didn't, I don't think I gave a lot of direction. I think I gave a bit of support. Um, mm. I think what I did find was I occasionally pushed back a bit harder on their teachers um because the teachers were always well you you'll, you'll never be a success if you go if you don't go to university and I was like wow. no that that's that's how you became a success in your thing because you had to be you had to go to university yeah I didn't and you know and the, the, I think there is a strong drive for that in some schools which is like you've not made it unless you've got a degree um and again that's pitched out by teachers who all have degrees um, I love I love the framing of saying that's how you became a success. I think that's a really smart way to counter the argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, used to it used to irritate me enormously, mine. But, um, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but but I think um, but yeah, I I think you know the, I can see that university has benefit. I'm definitely not anti-university. Mm. It just didn't suit me and for practical reasons. Couldn't afford it. And for, for, for other reasons, which is I wanted to go out and make my way. You know, I, I'd done, as far as I could see, I'd done my education bit and it was now time to go and make my way and, you know, buy houses, fill it up with lodgers, sell washing machines. <laughs> this, time, this time next year, Rodney, we'll be millionaires. We'll be millionaires. Oh, well, I mean, that feels like a perfect place to kind of wrap up. I've really, really enjoyed speaking to you, James. I've learned something. I'll put links to the charity in the show yes, notes. Please. If people want to connect with you, where can they find you? Uh, so so um so that my company website is Greystone, Grey with an A, Greystone Strategy dot uh, com. Um I'm on LinkedIn, not too difficult to find uh James Gray. Um I would encourage people to go and look at the charity. We're very small. We love people to fundraise for us. We love mm -hmm. just as much people's skills. So if you if if anyone's made a, a New Year's resolution to give something back or to do a charity thing, go and find frontlinechildren.org. Uh, we're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we've got a website. Um, and you know, if you've got skills, we'd be delighted to take your skills. If you want to go and sit in a bath of beans and raise money for us, we'll be equally happy for you to do that. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks, James. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the University Challenge. Now, did you know that we have got a playlist? 
Yes, we've got anthems where everyone who's been a guest on University Challenge put forward a song that they think epitomises their attitude to life. So head to the YouTube channel, which is at University Challenge, and check out the playlist there. You can also find more on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Simply put in University Challenge, and if it doesn't come up, I need to work on my SEO. Thank you.